Okay, so we've spent some time over the past several months discussing real estate markets, the interest rate market, as well as how the Federal Reserve's policy can impact these markets. And as we all know by now, the Federal Reserve's taken the steps to increase the overnight lending rate and really try to decrease the accessibility to money to stave off inflation. So with higher rates, they've slowed down our, the industry, they've slowed down the real estate market, and they've slowed down the mortgage market. And at the end of the day on it, you know, hopefully that decision is going to help uh, the inflationary trending that we're seeing. Now, one of the things that we haven't really spoken about at all is we haven't really spoken about the financial markets themselves and how it impacts individuals and to go deeper in that. So we really had to bring in an expert today to talk about that. Uh, and today we brought in Mr. Jim Lafferman. Hey, Jim. Hi, how you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, Jim. Thanks for asking. So, you know, Jim and I have had a chance to talk in a little bit of detail before the show today. And Jim, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about your background. But Jim was an investment banker, global investment banker, and someone who's seen some things at a very high level. Jim, would you mind talking for a little bit about your background? Sure. I uh, started out very humble beginnings, second generation Italian American uh, from Brooklyn, New York. I started, I joined the Navy right out of high school. Actually, I was still in high school when I joined the Navy. Thank you for your service. Thank you. And uh, I was very fortunate to be introduced to a um, headhunter mm -hmm. who put me onto a trainee position at Goldman Sachs. That was in 1980. So here we are, 42 years later, uh -huh. and I am uh, still a board member at one particular company, but I'm otherwise retired after having spent close to 40 years on Wall Street. Now, what do you do in your free time now? You're retired. You sit down and do podcasts with me. I do. You know, the best part about being retired uh -huh. is I never have to spend another minute with someone I don't want to ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take that as a uh, back-ended compliment. <laughs> That's a compliment. But it's also, uh, you, you know, when you're retired, people say, are you bored? Yeah. I say, no, if you're bored, that's your own fault. Right. You can do whatever you want. I personally, I have a number of hobbies. Mm -hmm. uh, I am a big time autograph collector mm -hmm. and have been since I was a child. And if I ever wrote my imaginary book, it would be called Nine Lives and One Hobby. Uh, that's great. Uh, you got to get on it. Yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> we got time. Yeah. So, and for those of you out there in the listening audience, Jim and I were talking about it before the show. I mean, we're talking an extensive collection that, that he has. I won't get into any details of it, but it's extensive. So, so Jim, again, thanks for joining us today. And I'm going to get into the economy a little bit. And the first thing or question I have for you is where do you see this market going? At the present time, I don't see the market going anywhere. The, the difficulty we're having right now and I, I don't remember seeing this anywhere. When I, when I joined the Navy, I joined during the Jimmy Carter era. Mm -hmm. And I mention that because at the time, I don't know how many of your listeners will remember this, but we had 17% interest rates. Mm -hmm. We had odd and even gas days. Gas, the right. inflation was completely out of control. When they say, you know, this is a 40-year high, I was around 40 years ago. So right. I remember it and I remember it very well. The thing that I think is different this time is you hear, if you listen to enough financial experts and analysts, they talk about inflation, but they also talk about a recession, a possibility of a recession. So a number of the 
major financial institutions have come out and said they're pricing in, I think now up to like a 25% chance of a recession. Mm -hmm. These two things inherently conflict with each other. Mm -hmm. So let's, if we're only talking about inflation, normally the way that the Fed and the government would try to tackle inflation is to raise rates, sell bonds, make money a little bit more difficult to obtain, okay? And by raising the rates, it, it effectively slows everything down a little bit. Sure. Okay? Now, let's take a recession by itself. In a recession, what you usually have is an easing of monetary yeah. policy. So quantitative easing right. of it. So they'll, ease, they'll make it easier for you to get money, and they would lower rates. Mm -hmm. So what do you do if you have both things on the table where one says raise rates yeah. and the other one says lower rates. Right. The, the, the difficulty I think we're having right now is that there is no real direction. Markets are forward looking. Mm. So markets look out into the future. So in terms of the uh, proposed Fed rate heights mm. that they've talked about, that's, that's already priced into the market. Right. Okay. Now you have to then try and figure out, well, how do I price in the potential of a recession right. when they're saying there's a 25% chance that that's a possibility. So in, in addition to that, you have COVID. Mm. You, and COVID may not be as top of mind as it was a year ago or two years ago, but it's still very much affecting everything. It's, it's many of the supply chain issues right. are directly attributed to COVID. We're seeing it again now with some of the shutdowns that they have in China. Right. Just completely disrupting it. And to, to your point about the supply chain disruption, that increases inflation, right? That increases inflation because it creates these artificial shortages. Right. Right. So one week it's baby formula. The next week it's contrast dye for MRIs, which mm -hmm. doesn't get a lot of press, but it's, it's something different every week. And so until the market has uh, a general feel for which direction we're going in, it's been, it's, it's been choppy. It's sure. back, it's forth. You know, we've had a couple of bear market bounces, but nothing sustainable. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that, and, and in addition to that, you have this war in Ukraine, right. which is taking a tremendous toll. I own an Audi. Many of the parts and, and cars and many of the things attributed to Audi are made in Ukraine. Right. So, so you're not getting parts for your car. Not getting parts. And if you know you want to trade your car in off of a lease or you want to get a new car, it's, it's challenging. So you have, hmm. you have a lot of different things that are conflicting with each other and battling each other. And until we kind of chase, uh, shake some of these things out, yeah. it's going to be very hard to provide a, a real guided direction. Yeah, you know what? And that's, that's fantastic perspective because, you know, we talk about the quantitative easing, which is, you know, you reduce the accessibility to money, right? You increase the interest rates and then you start selling bonds. But now to your point, that's priced into the market. So now we have the other end of that to say, oh, we're coming into this recession, and how do you jockey both at the same time? There's quite the conundrum with it all. That's right. So now, have you ever seen in your experience this type of volatility? I've, I've seen the volatility before. Yeah, yeah the volatility spikes. I mean, I, I don't know what the exact number is, but there are recessions all the time. Right. They happen every couple of years. You have, there's an old expression that says the market takes 
the elevator down and the stairs back up. Right. So <laughs> that's it, a good one. It goes down yeah. very quickly and it takes a while to rebuild it and to bring it back up. As I said, to find you have to find your footing, right? And there's there there's an, a number of these old I'm called pro, I'm gonna call them proverbs. Okay. Okay. You know that markets can remain uh irrational a lot longer than you can remain solvent. Mm. Um so that's another good one. And the other the another one is um this, these type of markets are when the inpatient transfer their money to the patient. Okay. Yeah, could you go into some detail with that? Because that's a big concept, right? right? Inpatient actually, transfer it to the patient. Yeah, there's actually a, there's actually a question. It used to be. I don't, I, I, I'm old, so I don't know when. On the you Series look fantastic. 7, on, on the brokerage, <laughs> uh, when you take your Series 7 yeah. to get your license and the uh, brokerage license, it's called the odd lot theory. And the odd lot theory was that the small investor will always do the wrong thing. Right. Right. Because, you know, markets, the market's getting hammered and, you know, everybody's in it. Whether you think it or not, you're in it in your 401k. Mm -hmm. uh, you may not have a direct investment, but you're in your 401k. So sure. everybody's affected by the market. You get a statement at the end of the month. You see, you see everything's tanking. What do you want to do? You want to get out of it and get into bonds. Right, something stable, so you could get your one quarter of one percent sure. on your bonds. So you panic, um, people panic. People panic, and even the most disciplined investors. It's we all know that when markets reach a bottom, or we think they're close to a bottom, no one can time the market. If you could time the market, we'd all be rich. Sure, but everyone thinks that when the market is low, I'll just buy. Right, okay? but human nature, it's it's very difficult. For human beings to just say, "All right, uh, I'm down fifty percent, so I'm going to plow more money into this." Yeah. Okay, it's just it's kind of counterintuitive. I yeah. mean, that is theoretically what you're supposed to do, but it's very difficult for most people to actually do that. Yeah, you know, I even from personal experience, when the really the last real recession that we had was in 2008. And I can remember Citigroup stock dropping. It was like a dollar a share, something ridiculously low. And I've been in, it was in the banking industry. Still am. It's like, well, this is the stock you want to buy. But there's that panic associated with it saying, am I just going to lose everything? That's right. Right, if you go that direction. But what it does seem resilient is the fact that the market's always going to turn around. The market will turn around because at some point, there will be a catalyst yeah. somewhere along. I don't know what the catalyst is. Right now, it seems like everything is going against us. Everything is bad. The other thing that's very different today than 20 years ago is that I, I think the number is somewhere in the 70s of the activity on the market today is electronic. Right. By algorithms, created by algorithms. It's not you or me going in and saying, I want to buy this or I want to buy that. It's computers are driving over 70% of what's happening. And it's all done off of, you know, a headline bursts today, right? You know, I just want to go deeper on that. <clears throat> Excuse me, because I think that's a concept that a lot of people don't understand. So what you're saying is, you know, a lot of these trades, and that big, big money being moved, is really getting moved based on some sort of trigger from a computer algorithm saying, hey, this is the time to buy or this is the time to sell. That's correct. It's not a human being making that decision anymore. That's correct. Huh. And that's the overwhelming majority of the trades that are being executed today. Right. And so what I, what I always try to tell people is um, if you're looking at a particular company, pick any company that, that trades publicly. I try to say you have to just relax. Okay. Right. If, 
something happens in the Ukraine today and the market drops a thousand points or whatever. And, and, you know, overall for the year, I think we're down, I think the S&P is down like 18% mm-hmm. for the year. Okay. All right. The stock that you owned six months ago, you owned the exact same thing you had six months ago. Right. Okay. Nothing changed. Nothing changed specific to that company. What people need to focus on, or what I think people need to focus on, I'm, I'm by far not the uh, be-all, tell-all. Right. But Your opinion. My opinion yeah. is that focus on the company itself that you own. So if it's, um, I, I don't know, I'll, I'm going to use Amazon as an example sure. just because everybody knows Amazon. Did anything specific happen to Amazon that made it drop by 20%? Mm-hmm. And... You factor that in. Now, if you think it's it's not Amazon specific, then it might be and worth. And it's like market reactive. It's market right? reactive. It's um again, when the Dow or the S&P or Nasdaq drops a large percentage, it's not again, it's not the underlying companies that created that drop. If if a company like Peloton mm-hmm. drops because um, they had this huge surge during COVID, and now people are back to work, and th- now they're suddenly seeing it go in the right. other direction. That's a true change. That's a true change. Right. That's, that's a true change that is company-specific. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's always been about the fundamentals behind the company itself. The other thing you have to remember is that 80, I think the number is 80% or higher of all mutual funds are outperformed by the S&P 500. Mm. So people think they're going into mutual funds and they're getting these high flyer experts from these gigantic companies and they're going to they're going to protect my money. They're going to do better for me than I could do myself when the overwhelming majority of them are outperformed simply by the S&P 500. You know, you bring up a great point with the S&P. So would would you, in your opinion on it, when you look at the S&P, do you just go into some sort of S&P index fund? Or just by definition, the fact it's a fund means it's managed by someone and the commissions are high on it? No. And anybody, anyone can go, if you ha- as long as you have an account to trade. Anybody can buy Spiders, SPY or IVV. Mm-hmm. Um, these are securities that replicate the S&P 500. Okay. You buy one share at a time. Right. And that one share is a piece of 500 of the best companies out there. Mm-hmm. So, so you're buying, you're spreading your money across 500 of the best companies out there. And, and you don't have to go to a mutual fund or to an investment advisor Who's going to do, do the that. same thing, right? right? Could, I, I, just a question before I uh, lose my train of thought on it. So the, on the S&P 500, you have 500 different companies. That's why it's called the S&P 500. Right. Now, are they all domestic companies or are they domestic and international? I believe they're all domestic companies. Okay. I, I could be wrong because it, it does change. change the mix once yeah. in a while. I, I'm pretty sure they're all domestic companies. There could be some ADRs in okay. there, which are American deposits. So may, maybe there's a, a Toyota or a Sony okay. or something like that. I'm not sure. But they're always going to be a name brand, for lack of a way, better way a- to put it, most likely. Absolutely. Okay. Huh. So how do you think people should prepare as the market changes? What, should, what, what, do you, what in your opinion, do you think people should do? Well, again, this is a, 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 I have to give you a long answer to a short question. Please. Um, it very much depends you can, it, there is no set answer for individuals 
a lot of it depends on what your tolerance for risk. Yep. Okay. A lot of it will depend on your age, your income status. And when I say your income status, I don't mean how much money you make. I mean, you know, how, how stable is your, is your job? Right. Okay. So let's take a, a, a 25 year old and compare it to a 65 year old. So a 25 year old could probably take a lot more risk than a 65 year old. When I was 25 years old, I won't speak for myself. I wouldn't even consider buying bonds. Everyone tells you, you you should have a balanced portfolio, a mix of cash, bonds, equities, and maybe even some international or some diversified uh, things that are off the table here sure. uh, that are a little bit more esoteric. But at 25, you're able to take a lot more risk because you have, so the s and down 18% this year. Over the course of a 15-year period, Chances are the S and P will be up in double digits right. over the course of the year. Statistically, during that time frame, you have say ten percent right. return, and you have a chance to recover. That's right in that aggressive portfolio. Because so, right. we say the markets right. always rebound at some yep. point. Once there's a catalyst to drive it forward, it will slowly start to climb and will reach new all-time highs. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're 65, that's a whole different equation because right. you might not have 10 years to rebound. You might be living off of that the income that's in those investments. So you may be forced artificially to sell at a low. Right. Um, especially if you- To protect if, yourself. To pro yeah. Well, either to protect yourself or just to live off of the, you know, like I said, um, a lot of people live off of that money. Sure. You know, they, they take a certain amount of money each month or each quarter, whatever it is. You know, that's how they pay their household bills and, and the like and their taxes and so on and so forth. The first step is to understand your tolerance for risk. Mm-hmm. And th there's no, like I said, there's no set answer. Each person has to basically create a, w a risk questionnaire and go through it and understand what your tolerance is. Right. And some of it isn't even necessarily financial. Some of it, as we said before, some of it could be psychological. Mm. So you can ask a, a person, how would you feel if the market dropped 20% overnight? <gasps> what do you mean? Would, I can't, I can't do that. Would you be, yeah. so if you're, again, if you're a younger person and you have a high risk tolerance, you'd say, that's okay, I'll get it back. Yep. Okay. If you're uh, someone who has a lower risk tolerance, you're like, 20%, I can't afford to lose yeah. 20%. Yep. All right. So again, understanding your tolerance for risk is, is a big factor. Sure. Makes sense. And age is a big factor as well. You know, I wanted to bring up a point earlier when you had mentioned don't be reactive because I think there's such thing as a fear index, right? Yes. People get scared and they, and they start to sell, but really go deeper on that individual company and see if anything materially changed as a, as a compared to just the emotions associated with it. And the other thing that I would point out, and this is a product of age and time as well, as well is loss and gain is only realized if you're selling it That's in, right. in qualified retirement, right? That's right. That's right. The example I used before I used Amazon as the example, yeah. but if, if you owned Amazon six months ago and the valuation now is 20% lower than it was, you still own the same, you still own the same asset. Right. You still own Amazon. You only lost the money if you sold it. Mm -hmm. So the, the risk tolerance and the time frame, like I said, if you have to use that money, there's a big difference because you might be forced into selling while the asset's down. Mm -hmm. Another thing people don't always factor in is, and you just mentioned, is taxes. Right. Okay? So, so-and-so buys XYZ, and you're up 
20%. Okay, great. So at some point, you, you sell it and you made 20% on it. Well, guess what? Now you have to pay 20% capital gains mm -hmm. on, the, on the proceeds of the, the profit right. that you made. So many people don't necessarily think about that when they're buying and selling. Right. Because right. then you're really only up in that example. Right. 16%. Because everybody says, right? why don't you just, if you think the market's going to go down, why don't you just sell everything? Right. Well, if you sell everything, you, you could do that. And uh, you could certainly do that. A lot of people do that. But you're going to have to pay capital gains tax on everything. So now you actually lost money. Right. All right. You may, you've made money, either, either money, either made money or lost money on your sales, but you're going to pay a capital gains tax on all of it. Whereas if, if you just, if you have the ability to just ride it out, mm -hmm. you'll, you'll have lost nothing. You know, and I'm going to shift it to, to real estate and that same concept for a second. The same thing holds true. When you look at how much you pay for a home, any, any appreciation in value is only realized if you sell it. That's any depreciation in value, again, is only realized when you sell it. And it's the same for the financial markets. Yeah, and that's something you got to talk to. You have to have, to your point about the tax ramifications, you want to keep people in that could be pivotal to your circle, mm -hmm. financial person, CPA, to find out really what the best thing is for somebody to do. And it's not a boilerplate answer for everybody. No, nothing, nothing is ever that straightforward. Each individual, as I said, whether it's real estate, whether it's a car, whether it's a boat, uh, stock, right. each one of those things is an asset. And each one has an appreciation or depreciation associated with it. Mm -hmm. And each person has to take into account what happens if it appreciates or depreciates sure. based over a long period of time. Real estate's interesting to me because at times has been my best performing asset. Right. Real estate at times has been my worst performing asset. So not only should you, in my opinion, diversify. I talked about diversifying amongst companies like, like in the S&P 500. I mean, yeah. 500 different companies. But it, it also helps to, to own a home. It also helps to have other assets or other appreciating assets that are not directly tied mm -hmm. to the stock market yeah. and, and won't blow up overnight because somebody said something, some analyst said something somewhere or some government did something somewhere. Um, so that that's a great point with it, Jim, because it's not only having a portfolio that matches your needs based on age and long and short-term goals, but it's also having almost diversification within diversification that's right. to say, hey, I don't have everything in the in the stock market. Do I own real estate? You know, do I have other investments that are also going to appreciate over time, which can be making money when the stock market's losing money and vice versa? So that's fantastic. It, so, and I actually had it written down, you know, what's a diversified portfolio look like? And I think big picture, you know, it's a combination of a lot of different things to give you balance. It's a lot of different things. And you, you, try, to, you try to put yourself in a position where if one thing is going to, if something gets hurt, something else might be appreciating right. as a result of that because there's, there's sort of these checks and balances on, on different things. I, I'll give you a real estate example, a real live real estate example. So my daughter, for the past three years, has been looking to buy a house, all right? What's happened in the last three years? Values the, are up. The values have exploded, okay? And so what happened to the money that she had? The money that she had depreciated. The values of these homes exploded. 
and made it virtually impossible for her now to purchase that home that she would have been able to purchase maybe four or five years ago. Sure. Okay. So now things are starting to turn, right? Uh, because of some of the fiscal policy that we have with the interest rates rising. And uh, you're going to start to see there are going to be a number of panic sellers sure. who want to get out. There, okay, my house is never going to be worth more than it is right now, so I want to sell it. Right. So more inventory is going to come into the market. Mm -hmm. And this is similar to what happened in 2008, only without the whole uh, no money down mortgage factor. Sure. Now, there's a lot of protections that have been put in since then mm -hmm. um, in the banking community and the lending community. So that should not happen again. Yeah, you know, it's interesting a lot along those uh, lines. So I kind of would go back to the losses only realized if you sell the house. That's right. So this is comes again back to someone's age, what's your individual preference? Because if someone's looking to purchase a house they're going to be in for the rest of their life. But there's other factors yeah. there too, because, you know, unlike a stock, you may have to relocate. Right. For some reason. Yeah. Um, you may have uh, expand your family. You have, you have children. And now the house is not, not right for you anymore. So there are other factors. I mean, whereas you could take your children and you could take your stocks with you. But you can't necessarily do that with the house. Right. So there, again, so the questionnaire, the risk questionnaire changes. Oh, we're going to have kids. How is that going to change the equation? It's a little different than, say, the pure stock yeah, portfolio. It, yeah, and you know what? With all of that, this where it becomes so important when someone's looking to purchase a house. You really got to take the time to go through it and say, all right, what are my short-term goals? What are my long-term goals? How long am I going to really be here? With buying a house now or not buying a house now, the first thing that pops in my mind is rent, right? Yes. So we know that rents are rising right now. So if the, if the cost of rent I had mentioned earlier, if they're $3,000 a month, well, why wouldn't you buy right now? It's better than give, throwing your money away by giving it to landlord. I completely agree. Um, the only thing rent buys you is time. That's all. Right. It, it buys you nothing else but time. Whereas had you made that, if you had this conversation five years ago right. with the same person, in those five years, you would have had five years worth of equity growth mm -hmm. in the home. You would have had uh, five years of property tax deductions. You would have had five years of mortgage interest deductions. No one looks at that as income. That's, I'll call it blind income, right? Because you saved money on your taxes. Your, your home has appreciated mm -hmm. and you'll have all kinds of equity built inside the home. To me, there's no benefit in renting other than I have a place to live, but yeah. maybe I just can't afford to buy a house. But, right. um, but you really get nothing Makes sense. out of it. You know, it's just, it's just the amazing thing about the markets as a whole, real estate, investing. Like, you really don't know. Because we may see a lull in the real estate market. That comes down. Hey, is there a recession? Is there not a recession? Do we see 5% movement? Do we see 10% movement? And that's all part of what happens with a recession as well. But then how long does it last? You know, I was looking at uh, the charts for recession since 1995. And you look at, we had one, kind of a little one somewhere around 2000. And then we had the big one in 2008. And then we had like a really brief one right at the beginning of COVID, right? Mm -hmm. And who knows when the next one's going to be? Because it looks like it should be coming down the pike at some point in time. Well, you made, you made 
the excellent point of this particular topic in that you can't time it. Right. Uh, no, it's, whether it's the real estate market or it's the stock market or anything. It, look, if we could time the market, we'd all be rich. Right. Right. None of us are that smart. So, We'd be doing this on the beach somewhere. And, and you also have all of these external factors yeah. that you, you don't know what you don't know. So things happen. So your point about purchasing real estate, I've always been in real estate ever since I was able to. So in terms of buying and selling, it's no different than what I said to you before about the stock. Right. right? It's timing is everything. Um, and no one can predict it. Right. So... To your point, if it's if it if it if it's going to be your forever home, or you're going to be in it five years, ten years, fifteen years, then to me, there's no downside in buying a home as compared to renting. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Uh, otherwise, just throwing your money away for renting, and it will be interesting to see how it plays out. And we're going to go to a quick break, and want to come back, pick your brain on a recession, pros, cons, right, and go a little bit deeper on that. So we'll be right back at you, Jim and Greg. So I'm going to take a few minutes today to recognize and plug the Social Rift. And if you're looking for an organization that can really help expand your digital footprint, that can help you with marketing, that can help you with public relations, Nick's a consummate professional who's going to treat your business like it's his own. Nick's done an exceptional job in helping me put together the sh our show, Your Mortgage Process. I'd highly recommend if you have any of these needs to reach out directly by going to thesocialrift.com. And again, Nick, thanks for everything that you do on the show. We appreciate you. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's Jim and Greg again talking about uh, the financial markets. Jim, I want to talk to you a little bit about an article that I had read the other day. Uh, Jamie Dimon, CEO of JPMorgan Chase. Uh, he, a few weeks ago, I... Uh, Jamie Dimon had come out and said that expect storm clouds on the horizon. You know, things are kind of sunny right now, but expect storm clouds and things are going to get a little bit shaky. Uh, he's upgraded his forecast. And as recently as this Wednesday, he made the comment that a hurricane's coming. And really what's to be found out is a hurricane, what kind of hurricane, right? Minor hurricane, or is this a superstorm Sandy type of hurricane? And he had attributed that to obviously some of the increasing interest rates. But the real big one that came across to me in the article was the dumping of bonds back on the market. So just as a refresher for anyone out there listening, the Federal Reserve doubled the size of their balance sheet during COVID. And they did that through purchasing a ton of bonds. They were purchasing regular bonds, $10 billion a month, and they were purchasing $5 billion a month in mortgage-backed securities. Now they got this huge balance sheet. And part of the way they're trying to curb inflation, and Jim had mentioned this earlier, is to sell bonds. Well, the projection is starting, well, we're in June now. They're going to be selling, I think it's $47.5 billion worth of bonds per month. After three months, that goes to $77 billion. And it just doesn't feel like the market can absorb that. And, you know, I'm paraphrasing a little bit uh, from what an expert like uh, Jamie would say. But what are your feelings on that? It, it, it's interesting. First off, if I had Jamie Dimon's money, I'd burn mine. Um, so <laughs> Jamie Dimon is, is a, a, genius. Is a yeah. genius and he's brilliant. And so I would always pay close attention to what he said. Right. That said, we've talked a lot about how does that affect me personally and how does that affect or you personally and how does that differ 
based on your set of circumstances versus my set of circumstances. Yeah, great point. Right? Because they are different. So, uh, and I'll give you a counterpoint. Janet Yellen said that inflation was transitory. And two days ago came out and said she was dead wrong, mm. which I, I kind of suspected. I'm, 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 you know, I'm Forrest Gump and she's Janet Yellen. But Could you, know, you explain what transitory means? What she believed and what many believed um, in the government or in the Fed was that it was going to be short term. Right. It was going to be quick. You know, there was going to be this quick ramp up, but that it wasn't going to sustain and it would quickly revert back to the norm. And But that didn't happen. Right. It just kept going and going and going and going and going. So, and she came out, uh, so I'm not speaking out of school. She came sure. out and said that she was wrong. So I go back to your original question about the hurricane is that I have ne I've never seen a period in my person personally in my lifetime where the Fed has had to drop this many bonds all at once. So how is that going to affect the market? I go back to what I just said about inflation and Janet Yellen and how the Fed reacted to that. If you could go back in time and start raising rates a year or 18 months right. earlier, would we have had a much less dramatic effect than we've had now. Mm. You don't you don't get that you don't get that opportunity to look backwards. I'm using that example because it's all about Powell and how he manages it. So, you know, when they say they're going to sell X amount of bonds per month and then 6 months later they're going to sell X plus Y amount of bonds, you have to understand that that could change. Right. Once you start to see what the impact is and how it's going. These are these are plans. I mean, we all make plans, right? Every one of us in our life makes plans. I, I plan to go on a cruise in February, but something may happen. So I might get ill. Something may come up. I may, you know, I may have a, a blip in my income or something to that effect, and that plan changes. Right. It doesn't mean it was a bad plan. It just just whatever reason didn't work. I always say if you have a five year plan, or then what you have in five years is a five year old plan. <laughs> okay right so plans change yeah and what's critical what's going to be critical to get through this whether it's not whether i jim think that uh jamie is right or chairman powell is right or wrong it's a function of being flexible enough and to manage as we go through it and not be rigid in a very staid approach as to, mm -hmm. to the way they approach this. Mm. No, that's, that's a great point that you bring up. And it does seem like when you start to dump those kind of bonds on the marketplace, I, I wouldn't say far be it for me to say that's reactive, right? These are people a lot smarter than I am, but you, you kept the rates. Well, maybe a little bit too long, not expecting this eight and a half percent inflation because they thought it was transitory to your point. And now you reverse course aggressively and you start to dump them. And I guess we will see, right? I mean, these folks are, are, again, much smarter than me. And if you see it having a massively negative impact or puts us into a recession, you can see these things change. Exactly. And, and they'll reverse course or um, maybe just uh, change course, not necessarily right. reverse course. You know, and they'll, they'll watch the impact that it's having as it's going along right. and they'll make decisions based on that. I'm thinking I wouldn't want that job right now. I mean, we got a perfect storm brewing here that they're going to have to mitigate. Through. I would not want any job in the government. <laughs> I don't even want, I, I, I have three HOAs that I'm a part of. And, yeah. you know, I get 
these questions, you know, people send me things to you. Do you want to be on the board of the HOA? I want no part of being on the board of an HOA. You're retired. Exactly. <laughs> I don't, I don't need people yelling at me. There's no upside. People, if you do a good job, you hear nothing. Billy Martin, famous baseball manager. Yeah. Once said, if you manage a baseball team, there's 25 players on the team. 10 of them will love you and 10 of them will hate you. Right. No matter what you do, how you can determine what kind of a job you did is which way the other five go. Okay. Right. So, you know, you look at government positions, HOA, I used HOA as an example. You're never going to make everyone happy yeah. and you're never going to get it right. hundred percent. Right. Um, it's all about moving the five. Right. To it's Billy all Martin's about point. That's yeah. right. And, the and middle. if you look at our country right now, the, the way we're we divided, you basically have two or 3% of our country decide which way we're going. Yeah. Because the others are so entrenched in their views right. that you really don't move the needle with them. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a great point. You know, let's, I want to talk a little bit and shift gears to financial literacy. You know, we were having a great conversation off air before this about a, a, a charity that you were involved with, with kids reading bedtime stories. Would you mind talking to that a little bit and sure. escalate it into financial literacy? Sure. You know, um, we talked about when I worked for one of the, major bulge bracket firms. Uh, one of my partners and I set up this program where with one of the local homeless shelters where we would bring uh, members of our staff who were, for the most part, Ivy League, highly educated, very privileged backgrounds and upbringing. Uh, we would bring them to homeless shelters and we would bring books, milk and cookies, and we would read bedtime stories to the kids in the homeless shelters. Mm. And from there, over time, and we bring different volunteers each time, and over time that grew to, we went from reading stories to building a library. And then we went from building a library to trying to make things more permanent. And then we started in inviting the parents. And what we also tried to do was teach them basic financial literacy. You would be surprised. And I have no statistics on this. I'm not even sure there are statistics on this. How many people there are in this country that don't have a bank account, mm. a checking account? They just cash checks. They just get a check and they cash it. They go to a check cashing place or somewhere, the local grocery store or something, and they walk around with a big wad of cash and they're not earning anything on their money. They're, and they're, you know, me being extra security conscious, um, they're very vulnerable. Mm. Um, they're getting charged outrageous fees. Mm. And they don't understand the very basics of finance. Mm -hmm. And like I said, not, I'm not, we're not talking about stocks and bonds and real estate. We're talking about opening up a checking account. So what we found is we started teaching this to a lot of the kids. And what was happening is the kids were actually taking it back and teaching it to their parents. Because a lot of the parents didn't understand how to have a bank account or, right. or anything to that effect. So, you know, many of the things that we've talked about here today don't apply to a, a very large portion of people in the United States. It, that stuff is really not taught in school right. uh, until you get to college or if you maybe in high school, if you're in a college prep course, you might you'll get you'll get some of that mm -hmm. but the very basics of just everyday exchanging money credit cards debit cards 
a, a bank account, a checking account, savings account. Um, it's amazing how many people don't understand it. Right. You know, you start a curriculum because that is, we're underserving the communities in a lot of ways that need it the most. That's right. Right. Understanding basics of money. I mean, just something as simple as if you have money in a bank account for the past couple of years, it's in cash. You've really lost money, right? You're, you're down eight and a half percent. You're down eight and a half percent. If you had a, if you had a thousand dollars in the bank at the beginning of the year, um, inflation's up eight and a half percent. You've lost eight and a half percent of your money. Right. See, they don't think of that. They think I had a thousand dollars in my pocket. I still have a thousand dollars in my pocket, so I didn't lose anything. But right. you did lose it. You lost eight and a half percent. You know, and the government threw you a little bit of free cheese with their twenty four hundred dollar checks. Right. So that twenty four hundred dollar block of cheese bought you nothing because you're down eight and a half percent. And right. and they just inflated, you know, the national debt is just completely out of control. Right. You know, it would be really good to see uh, education come into our financial or financial education coming into our basic school system to try to help people. You'd be a good guy to do that. It, not only basic, it, it's not, again, it's not even a finance course. It's just basic right. understanding. You know, you learn to read, you learn to write. It's no, no, no different than woodshop. It's teaching people the basic fundamentals. Most of the kids who do go to college have never paid a bill in their life. Right? right. Mom and dad did it. Yeah, it's a great point. Okay. They've never paid a bill. They've never had uh, an account that they truly understand. Now, I, I, you know, there are some people who are starting hedge funds out of their garage when they're 12. But, <laughs> right. but most people have never done it. You know, that I really appreciate that, Jim. That we do need more in education around these things at the basic level and, you know, at least, very least in, in high school. So as... You know, and hopefully, I wish we could fix all the problems in the world. I really do, because I, t I couldn't agree with you more that that's a big issue that we have right now. So now if you have, if I were to look at real estate as an example, and we've had a market, real estate, mortgage, and, and ancillary services associated with the transaction of real estate, you know, there's been a windfall of money that's come in to people and could very easily be evening out, maybe even potentially going down sometime soon. What type of recommendations would you give to people or opinion would you have financially for people that have had this windfall of money over the course of the past couple few years? My father, who is a first generation immigrant in this country and uh, from very meager beginnings, mm -hmm. my father once said to me, save your money when times are good so you can spend it when times are bad. Yeah. Okay. So that's a basic premise in that you, if you just had this windfall, don't be in such a rush. I come from Wall Street, right. right? People get a big bonus. They go out and buy boats and they buy fancy cars and all kinds of things. I never did that ever. You had a windfall here, but you've gotten crushed over here. Mm -hmm. So watch the market, watch, watch real estate. Um, Watch for opportunities that are going to, and there will be opportunities that pre present themselves sure. to buy low. You know what? I've always subscribed to the philosophy of a, of a recession is really a sale for the prepared. That's right. Right? I mean, if you've been smart to your point, I mean, if you've saved what you have and you've been prudent financially, you're going you're gonna to have opportunities. That's right. And 
You said it perfectly. So if you have, again, anything, let's say, um, I don't know, Oreos. You like Oreos, okay? And <laughs> Who doesn't? Right, so you like Oreos. <laughs> if Oreos, if you found out tomorrow that Oreos were 50% off, you'd buy more of them. Stock it up. You'd stock up. Another question for you, and it's switching gears a little bit in the financial arena. I mean, I was reading somewhere that the disparity of wealth in this country has, it's as bad as it was back in the early 1900s when you had the Rockefellers of the world, uh, the JP Morgans of the world. And, and we're kind of back at that, that spot again, where really the money has flowed up, hasn't necessarily flowed down. Uh, do you think that that's going to continue to go in that direction? Or do you think there's going to be some opportunity for, for the scales to even out a little bit? That's hard. That's very difficult to answer because a lot of that is driven by, again, our government. We live in the greatest country in the world because someone like Elon Musk can become the right. richest man in the world, Bill mm -hmm. Gates. And, sure. and how? Because they created something that changed the world. Right. And that has been uh, utilized by everyone in the world. Right. On the other right. hand, people will say, well, how much is too much? We have, we as a country and as, as, uh, as Americans have to come together somehow and come closer to the middle mm. and stop being so polarized right and left, come closer to the middle and say, who should be paying what and, and what amount should they be paying? Right. Half the country pays no taxes whatsoever. Do something that makes that for common that is common sense. Flat tax. Yeah, well, Steve, flat tax. Steve Forbes. <laughs> there you go. Welcome, welcome to the show, Steve <laughs> Forbes. Um, no, but it's not. They have to find a common ground where. Okay, yeah, yeah. These guys should probably be paying more in taxes, and they they need to do something with things like carried interest and other loopholes right. and, and the like, but. I think that I think at the end of the day, it comes down to the, the tax, the tax code. So I want to talk a little bit about consumer debt. So as we kind of go through these booms in the marketplace, consumer debt, it goes up, right? And I'm thinking with some of the things that we have going on the horizon, now is probably a pretty good time for people to a recognize the debt that they have, address that debt, you know, with some sort of detailed plan and start making some potential changes to get ready to have a solid personal balance sheet going in any type of future market. What are your thoughts on that? It's again, another tough one. I don't walk in every man's shoes. Mm -hmm. So I personally loathe, uh, debt. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, and, uh, the most common ones as well. It's a credit card debt. Everybody, right. everybody has credit card debt. Right. The percentage rates are astronomical. Um, once you go down that rabbit hole, it's incredibly difficult to dig yourself back out of it. Um, now, let's wrap all the things we talked about before. If more people had elementary and maybe yeah. a second level of understanding of basic financial uh, wherewithal in terms of being able to manage your money and being able to write it, write checks and so on and so forth. If, if people were to have financial literacy earlier and more comprehensively, 
they would probably not dive as deep down the rabbit hole. Now, again, some people, unfortunately, get into those predicaments, um, whether it be, it could be for medical yeah. reasons. It life be, happens. It, life yeah. happens. It could be, you know, something life-changing that happened sure. and they just had to do it. Um, I, I've got to more look at like consumption, right? Right, but the average person does it to buy, you know, a new pair of kicks or, yeah. you know, go to a concert or whatever they do. They're out, go out to dinner nine times a month. Right. The average person runs up their debt that way. So um, it, people in general really just need to be more mindful of uh, what they're spending. I, 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 got, I have one more question for you, Jim. So what's the one piece of advice you would give to young people to prepare for their future finances? Educate yourself. Every day is a learning experience. That's fantastic, Jim. Thank you. That's, and that's great advice. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. I want to thank you so much for taking the time today. I know you take get a busy schedule, taking the time to be here today. Jim Lafferman, everybody. Thank you again, Jim, for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Really I appreciate your time. And thanks, everyone out there, for listening to the show this week. We'll look forward to catching up with you next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process, hosted by Greg Wareham, produced by Greg Wareham and Nick Pavise at The Social Rift, and executively produced by The Social Rift. Thank you again for tuning in, and we look forward to catching up with you next week.